What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. And today, my guest is none other than Peter Bogosian. All right. So, yeah, we actually recorded this uh, weeks ago, but at the time of releasing this, there has been a lot of talk about Peter Bogosian this last week because he just very publicly uh, released his resignation letter from the university that he's been at for about a decade. So that resignation letter was released on Barry Weiss's uh, newsletter. And and yeah, I I was very honored to have Peter come on, you know, and talk about his book, How to Have Impossible Conversations, a few weeks ago. And it's been interesting seeing the the different kind of perspectives about his resignation, his experience, what he's been through and all that, you know, he has a ton, a ton of support, but I'm also curious about the people who have disagreed with, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, stuff that he's done or the way he taught or, you know, whatever it is, because my personal experience and Peter and I dive into this in this, uh, conversation, but his book, uh, How to Have Impossible Conversations, it really helped me a ton during a dark time. And I said this on Twitter, like I might be biased, but you know, uh, that book helped me out a lot. So as many of you know, I've discussed this. I had John Roush on and, you know, Kurt Gray, and we talked about this a little bit more in depth, but in 2019, I was canceled, you know, on YouTube and I had a ton, a ton of people, you know, coming after me. And that's when I really got interested in human behavior because I was in this like crazy dark place after dedicating my life, you know, to helping people. I was in this crazy dark place after all this happened. And, you know, when trying to understand human irrationality and behavior and all that, I was like, how do you talk to these people? How do you, how do you get through to these people? And that's when I discovered uh, Peter Bogosian's book, How to Have Impossible Conversations. And that book introduced me to, you know, what, what he refers to as street epistemology, right? Trying to understand, you know, and ask, how do we know what we know and have these conversations? And I'll tell you what, I'll be a thousand percent honest with you. When, when I was being canceled and I tried some of these techniques, it went terribly. And I don't, I don't think I told Peter this in this conversation, but it went horribly, right? But I've still used those practices, you know, for the last two years and, and they work a lot. Um, I have had so many civil conversations with people where we uh, disagree on something um, just by using a lot of these techniques. And it's, it's helped a ton. And, you know, uh, not only did it help me during that difficult time and better understand, you know, that people are coming from their, you know, their own experience and their own opinions, their own groups and all that. Like, you know, aside, aside from that, I've been able to implement those skills today. And I'm just forever grateful for what Peter does and everything like that. And even personally, like I love his work and I think he's a very genuine guy. I don't always a thousand percent agree with him, but I, I do think he's such a good person. He provides so much value and, you know, the university lost, you know, a great educator because, you know, someone like myself, I've learned a ton and I can just only hope that he continues to teach others. But anyways, yeah, uh, I thought it'd be a great time to release the episode and just going back through it and editing it. I was like, oh, wow, this was such a great conversation. And I'm super grateful for him uh, coming on. So, so yeah, make sure you check out the description below. Make sure you're following Peter over on Twitter uh, and check out his website. Um, Obviously, he will be doing some new projects inside, you know, he left the university. So make sure you're following and keeping up to date with him. And also, I've linked his book, How to Have Impossible Conversations, as well as his other book. Uh, it's more about 
uh, atheism and talking to somebody who's a believer. That's also a great book if you just want to kind of like brush up on your skills. All right. So I'll link all that down below. But yeah, down in the description below, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter as well at The Rewired Soul. And if you're new here, do me a favor, make sure you're following or subscribe to the podcast, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, or whatever platform. But anyways, I want to give you kind of some context of, you know, uh, what, where this conversation came from and, you know, why we recorded this and just, you know, kind of my overall thoughts about Peter and why I'm so glad he was able to come on the podcast and, you know, spend some time having this conversation. So anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Peter Bogosian. Hello, Peter. How are you doing today? Hello, Chris. I am super excited to talk to you. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little backstory in a second, but your book helped me during a difficult time. But for the few people in my audience who don't know you, can you give uh, a little bit of your background or, or just really like what inspires your work, this book that we're going to be talking about? Well, that's kind of a big question. Uh, my name is... <laughs> My name is Peter Bogosian, and I I wrote uh, How to Have Impossible Conversations, my second book, on my third book now, which is a children's book, it's the same theme. My first book was A Manual for Creating Atheists, and the theme of all my work, I did my dissertations in prisons. It's how to have conversations with people that you think are impossible, mm-hmm. and how to speak across divides, and how to give people the gift of doubt simply by asking a few questions and and genuinely engaging them. So. In the book, I talk about the mistakes I've made and what I've learned from them mm-hmm. and help other people not make those mistakes as well. So, uh, so I was, um, recently I've been very involved in the woke stuff, Yeah, um, but the core throughout the whole thing has always been a Socratic dialogue, honest conversation, genuine, authentic relationships and how to cultivate those and how to move society towards those attitudinal dispositions that help people think more clearly and critically and value reason and evidence skepticism. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, your, your book was really the one that introduced me to the whole, uh, uh, epistemology thing. I'm like, okay, cool. I, I get this. And, and yeah, so I came across the book when I was being canceled in 2019. So I'll give you, I'll give you a little foundation. So Please. back, relax. I'll, I'll try to give you the summarized version, but so me, like when you're talking about like presenting doubt, change of beliefs and stuff like that, like I love that. And I've, you know, had Michael Schumer on and a bunch of other critical thinkers and skeptics because that saved my life. I'm a recovering drug addict, right? Like in order to get sober, I had to change my beliefs. So anyways, long story short, I started a YouTube channel, started blowing up and I got canceled. It was largely around mental health and addiction recovery. I was trying to help people. And it, it turned on me and I would, let me, let me pause. So I, so I said, what, what did you say that got you killed? Was it something you said? Was it a a stance you advocate? What was it? Yeah. So, so it's, it's interesting. It it was kind of a, uh, a few things that came together, but the first like, uh, spark that lit the fire was. Um, someone leaked a DM that I was having with them, right? So there's this kind of, there's that halo effect. You're a public figure or, you know, a person of influence and you're talking about mental health and recovery. So you're supposed to be 
you know, Jesus reincarnated, right? You're supposed what to be it, perfect. May I ask what the, I, I assume I can ask since it was leaked, what did it say? So uh, it, I, I don't know the exact quote, but it was, what? it's nuts. I wrote a book on this. I think I said like, it was like less than 20 words, the sentence. And it said, LOL, did you see Trisha made a video about me, right? So another creator made a video about me uh, and I messaged another channel about that and it got around and got leaked. Yeah, it was very minor, but you've seen how the- that, I mean, just the stuff that I say before breakfast seems far more radical than that. Yes. I, I don't understand why someone would no. say about that. Trust me. And, and you, you, you know, as, as you, you mentioned, like woke culture and stuff, when I see people get canceled, I'm like, the stuff I've said that people haven't heard me say is a million times worse, right? Like, so this little spark, that was probably like the least offensive. Like, I feel like I've said worse things in videos and stuff because I, I come from a very tough love kind of. You know, when you place. when you say they canceled you, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, <laughs> hun- probably dozens or hundreds of videos about me, uh, which turned into threats. People reaching yeah, out fair. to my girlfriend. People threatening to rape and kill my mom. All that kind okay, of. Okay, you know. that's little. That's okay. So there's a line, right? Yeah. Like, so that's that's definitely the line, right? Okay. Now yeah. I can see why you care about that. Yeah. 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 And. uh and yeah, I was just read right before we hopped on, I was going back through the book and some of this, I want to dive into like, just kind of like the moral epistemology. I recently had Kurt Gray on mm. and we talked about morality and moral philosophy, because that's really where I got interested because, you know, um, basically what I did, Peter, was I, I wanted to help people with their mental health and addiction recovery. And I realized like, Hey, there's a way that I can blend pop culture with these topics, right? So, uh, as, as somebody with a kind of utilitarian point of view, I'm like, okay, this celebrity, if they go out, so for example, Kanye West made an album about having bipolar disorder, right? A lot of people don't understand bipolar disorder. So I'm like, okay, I'll take this new album you came out with and discuss it and educate people about bipolar disorder. Well, everybody was cool with it and really enjoyed how I kind of made it practical until certain YouTube creators didn't find it okay. Right. And that's when their followers and everything like that started coming after me. I mean, you just can't worry about shit like that though, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you worried about every person who was, I, I should have asked if I could swear on your, Oh podcast. no, you absolutely can okay. swear away. I should have asked beforehand apologies, but you know, if you had to worry about every person fucking with you, you couldn't, you not only could you not get anything done, you couldn't even get out of bed in the morning. Oh yeah. It's so you it's, just have to figure out whose voice doesn't matter. And the vast majority of these people, they just don't matter. So, okay. So let me, let me ask you this. You're, you're, so I'm guessing you've had the internet come after you once or twice, just a bunch of strangers, <laughs> right? So here's the thing. So I <laughs> hey, this is when I really started reading, Peter, I started reading about crowd psychology and just conformity and just insanity, right? So we have this innate human tendency where we want to be liked and connected. And when we get pushed out of the tribe, it, it messes with our head. So like I live my life, like I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. Right. But when, when that many people came after me, they had me questioning who yeah, I am, my okay, morals. Right, hold, hold on a second. So, so in the, a name you mentioned in the podcast, uh, that, that you mentioned, uh, for two minutes ago is Michael Sharma. Right. Yeah. But if I post a tweet about something and, uh, you know, a hundred thousand people go crazy and they call me a Nazi, 
would differ. It makes no difference at all. However, if Michael Shermer calls me and says, "Hey, Bogosian, like you crossed the line. This is not cool." Like, so when someone like Shermer says that, who has intellectual gravitas, he's a very good friend of mine. He's someone who I have tremendous intellectual mm-hmm. respect for. That matters. Yeah. All those other voices. Okay, the raping the mom thing. That's certainly crossing the line. Yeah. Especially if it's a credible, a credible threat. But mm-hmm. uh, usually they're not. But um, it doesn't make any difference. Who who gives a shit? So we have to kind of help people realize what voice to, to differentiate between the voices that matter and the voices that don't. Of course, yeah. there's, you know, a huge problem with that. But that's the basic idea. Yeah. So let me let me ask you this because that's when I came across your book, and maybe that's where I made a wrong turn, right? Because using yourself as an example, someone calling you a Nazi. Here's an impossible, what I would consider an impossible. Breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- that's what I consider an impossible conversation. How do you talk to someone who believes that you're a Nazi? Like that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out, right? Like how, is that a conversation that can even be had? Or is that one where we, we walk away pretty quick from it if they've made this kind of moral judgment about your character and who they think you are? Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself in what venue? Like on Twitter, if someone's saying "fuck you, Nazi," there's really no conversation to be had. <laughs> they're calling. They're just. I don't even know. They're just venting, or they're just. But so, yeah. so the platform, the platform matters. So I have a um, meeting coming up. I, I haven't said this to anyone. So here he goes in my public. So I've been slamming the DA from Portland brutally on Twitter and and the mayor, <laughs> and I have a meeting set up uh, over here with the DA. That's going to be a very difficult, difficult conversation because to mm-hmm. say the least, I'm not a fan. Um, and, but the key, in, the key in, in that conversation is just in every other conversation. Why do you think that? Why do you do this? You know, the, the idea is you want to plumb someone's epistemology in general and their moral epistemology in particular. Oh, so, mm-hmm. oh, so by Nazi, you don't mean a soldier and hits Hitler's army. You mean a bad person, right? So the semantic range of the word Nazi has expanded considerably. You you can talk about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think that's a truly horrible thing. But Mm -hmm. I got a a tweet once saying, talking about being attacked, saying we should reserve the word Nazi for actual Nazis. Yeah. And I stand by that. And people went crazy. My mentor was actually interned in Guggenwald. And he told me he was picked up on Crystal Knocked. Uh, Frank Wesley was his name. It was a wonderful film made about him. Um, But Mm. he went back to liberate the very concentration camp in which he was... Um, kept prisoner, but, but we need to reserve, we need, and I'm not trying to be the language police. Yeah. The words have to mean something, you know, anti-Semitism is, is another word. It's not anti-Semitism. I mean, it's, it's a word that's cloaked. It's Jew hatred. So say mm-hmm. it for what it is, because then you get the response back. Well, how, how can I be an anti-Semite? I'm a Semite. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a Semitic people. I can't hate myself. I don't. So, so that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ambiguity. Perfect example. Another great example. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. The words equity is probably the best in- example. It means almost exactly the opposite of what most people think it means. So, so, um, so the key thing is in those conversations, you have to, I mean, there's a whole trajectory of figuring out what people mean, asking them questions, genuinely listening. I mean, that's the basic stuff. The more advanced stuff comes later, but there is no conversation that someone's screaming in your face or threatening mm-hmm. you with physical violence. Yeah. So, so that's, that's another interesting point is 
definitions, right? Like I, that's that's a strategy. You have a lot of tips and stuff, and I, I've taken them. I put them in my in my toolbox here, awesome. right? And one thing is, you know, hey, let's figure out what we mean by this, right? Um, this is something I talked with Mike. You just did it. You did the technique in the book. We. Well, oh yeah, yeah. That's another thing. You know, like I mean, I'm, not, I'm thinking of Michael Schumer, but Peter, I have taken so, so much and I see it coming out, right? Like it's this cooper this cooperative conversation. We're in this together and I try to find common ground. Like, for example, as a recovering, my drug of choice was pills. So when people talk about conspiracies and all these other crazy things, I'm like, hey, hey, I get a big pharma. Hey, I know big pharma puts a lot of money into the government and they're not looking out for our best interest. So I get it, you know, just to get common ground. That doesn't mean I believe in the flat earth or lizard people and stuff, but I try to find common ground, common ground and say, Hey, what can we do? And, and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, and, and then call, call yeah. Call, calling out the enemies, uh, what they perceive to be the enemies on your side is another rapport building technique. Yeah. And the the definitions is where I actually had an interesting situation this morning, right? Because I try to say, okay, what do we mean by this? Because there's words like transphobic being thrown around, racist being thrown around. I'm half black, but I don't look it. So I can get people calling me a racist, right? And I'm like, hey, that's half my family. You know what I mean? And and so, yeah, I try to pin down the definition. So this morning, it's funny because it was actually in a Michael Schiller tweet. There's a, there's a growing trend, right? Um, my girlfriend sends me stuff from TikTok where there'll be a guy and he's like, I'm a gay, I'm a gay man. Right. And he's like, and the woman is like, I'm a lesbian woman and we're dating. And, uh, yeah, I, yep. I see that look on your face. I'm trying to figure out how that works. It reminds me of the show. Um, uh, it reminds me of the show, um, the, uh, on Apple TV when they, they, uh, where God, it's like Mar. They go to the moon, or uh, for all mankind. That's the name of the show. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you seen that show? Not yet. Th this interesting thing. There's a, a gay man uh, married to a lesbian woman in there, but it just made me think of that. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So that that's like a growing thing, and I forgot what Schober said earlier this morning, but it was something similar. And I made a reply. I'm like, yeah, notice this uh, with younger people on TikTok and stuff. And this guy comes. And he says, you know, something along the lines of like, you know, that's a boomer thing to say that I'm like, hey, what do you mean? You know, and he talks about how words evolve over time. So he made a pretty decent point. He was like, well, gay used to mean happy. Right. Uh, and it's like, let's let these young kids figure it out, you know, and stuff. But but yeah, words, you know, I'm somebody I'm not like a, a like super like crazy about words. But at a certain point, you know, it, it turns into this like, what are we even talking about? You have to know what people mean when they use the word, because if you don't know what they mean, you could, you could be talking past each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's not, you know, you're not trying to be academic. You're just trying to figure out what somebody means. So you mm -hmm. have to ask them what they mean. And I know it seems so pedestrian and, and almost stupid. Like, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, and, and I've made, and, and actually post the videos that, of conversations that don't go well so people can learn from them when I have those conversations. Mm. I had a conversation with a guy in California. I set up a booth on the side of the road for how to have impossible conversations. And the guy, one of the questions was about borders. And I had this long conversation with this guy and I simply, it never occurred to me to ask what he, what his understanding was of what the, what a, of a border was. So his understanding of the border was like a World War II trench. Oh, okay. <clears throat> And I can't remember the exact question was like, shouldn't secure our boards? I can't remember the question, but 
I posted that conversation because I think it's really important that people learn from my mistakes. Mm. So even a word like, forget a word like Nazi or equity. I mean, equity, the whole grievance studies industry has intentionally changed the meanings of words. I'm talking about words that people traffic in all the time that they should be able to agree upon. But at this word border, it never occurred to me that he was using the word border in the way that was non-standard. And I yeah. said, well, what do you mean by a border? And he would have said, you know, like a trench or something. Yeah. Like World War II, like a, a physical space. But if you don't do that, then I wasted his time and my time. Because yeah. I had no idea what, I couldn't imagine that anybody could hold those beliefs, but they were only hold those beliefs because the start, because the, what he meant by a word was different from what I thought he meant. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, part of that is too, because it, 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 then after that, it's, you know, finding conversations that, that matter. That's something I'm always just trying to think of because I try to pick my battles. I used to have a lot of anger issues back in my addiction days. So I try to pick my battles, right? So for example, going back to like these kids on TikTok and it's like, I have to think like, does this matter? Should I say something? Do I care? Right. And I, I ask that too, like when I read books on like, you know, atheism and things like that. So so how do you kind of gauge when it's worth even diving into that impossible conversation? So you're not just wasting your time. Like you have, you had a story in there about how you were trying to convert, what was it, like a, a Lakers fan oh, or something? Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that because I was in line uh, and I had yeah. to stand there with my buddies. But I think that you have to ask yourself, what's your goal? As a general rule, I used to do this a lot more. I mean, literally constantly used to consume my days, but I do it a lot less because I'm so busy with the woke stuff. Um, I think, and the other reason is frankly, in our society now, we don't, people don't want to have conversations. They view mm. people who hold different beliefs as an existential threat. So we need to change those attitudinal dispositions that people hold to want to start talking to each other again. And those structures of, excuse me, those, as they use a fancy word, discourse and structures are those stru structures or discourse that we put in place in the university system, making conversations even more, not even more difficult, but certainly they make them more difficult although they do, but they give people a reason to not speak with each other. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of people running around, not wanting to speak to people who hold different beliefs. So how do you assess whether or not that's worth it to you? Well, that's strictly personal. Um, mm. it's really hyper-personal because frankly, it depends on what's going on in your day. I mean, my, it's 1222 now in Portland, I woke up to like 800 emails. And so now if I were waiting in line at a store or something, I probably wouldn't have a conversation. I would just, yeah, you know, on my phone. You know, the other thing that's interesting is that I've noticed, uh, at the gym, I was having a conversation with people about locker room talk mm. and everybody at the gym walks around with headphones now. Mm -hmm. And I used to have a lot of friends that I met from the gym or conversations that have in the locker room. I haven't had a conversation with Jim. I don't even know how years I, I, you know, the other thing that just since it's on my mind, you know, you used people used to give each other spots in the lock and in, in the gym, people don't do that anymore. And I think it's because of the headphone thing mm. I and mean, the equipment is the same. So it's changed the culture. So it's yeah. more difficult to have a conversation with people if they're walking around with their headphones in. Right. Yeah. It's it's so funny because before we hopped on and I was talking about all the books I read, but I actually listen to. Mm. I'm I'm one of those I'm one of those people, right? Even though I love having conversations, I just it's a bad thing though. Yeah, so it's a bad now, thing. Now I'm curious. It yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, if everybody's walking around with their headphones, it's very difficult to have a conversation with anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's I one of the reasons I love this podcast. It's being able to have conversations with a uh, wide range of people. 
And that, I think, I think you put your finger on something. I think what people, where people are going now to have conversations, they don't have, they can't have them in the universities anymore. It's utterly impossible. Um, unless it's about something that doesn't matter, like a technical specification or electricity or something with no emotional or more. Yeah. They go to podcasts. Mm. They go yeah. to podcasts. I think that's one of the reasons you've seen such a, a tremendous, and they go to podcasts with, with, they don't just go to podcasts. They go to podcasts if people speak openly and honestly. That's yeah. the podcast they go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really it's really weird because I you know I try to follow you know some of the rules that you lay out. I try my best, but we're all kind of funneled into social media. But I I try to pull people away from the public spotlight because I got really into learning about like tribalism and stuff, and it feels like a lot of people are putting on a show, right? Like they're 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 saying something or arguing or, uh, you know, uh, moral grandstanding. Right. And they, they, Hey, you're a Nazi. And I want my people to know that I think you're so terrible that I'll call you a Nazi. There's right. so many moral things. Yeah. So I, I try to take people out of that. I'm like, Hey, shoot me an email. Like recently I've been writing, uh, you know, some Substack posts about semi, I can see controversial topics. I'm like, if you want to discuss, shoot me an email. Right. But I've noticed I'd say 99% of the time, I've had a few people email me, but they don't want to. They want to do it in that public square. So do you see that being part of the issue with people not wanting to have conversations is that they're doing it more for a show than actually trying to debate ideas? Yeah, they think they have to hold a particular policy position and that holding that position makes them a good person. Mm. Right? And so a lot of that is, and I'm just thinking about a curriculum that was developed um, that's totally deranged and the people's names are featured prominently on it and they want everybody to know they developed this and they they're good japanese have a, a word i can't remember what it is it means doing virtuous acts in silence mm. an anathema to the woke mindset right yeah yeah i yeah uh it, it, i see a lot of like signaling i are you familiar with uh justin tosi and uh adam Adam Warm Warmke, they wrote that book, uh, Grandstanding. It's about moral grandstanding. But yeah. I haven't read it. I have not yeah, read it. You would probably love it. But yeah, they're, they're uh, professors of like moral philosophy. And I, I, I read that. And that's something I, I started seeing a lot of this signaling, right? The word virtue signaling got started just like blowing up. But I noticed I'm like, why, why are you doing this? Like, would you be saying this in private? Would you be saying this if nobody was going to hear you? Because something I learned in my recovery, people used to ask me like, are you... Are you doing the right thing when nobody's looking, right? And that's something that I, I try to remember. Like, am I only doing this for the, the, the kudos from other people or, or not? And here's a question. With you having somewhat of a following and some influence, how do you monitor yourself? How do you make sure that you're not just trying to feed your ego and get a bunch of likes on Twitter? Do you check in with yourself or? Uh, hold on a second. I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer that. Chris. I'm still kind of caught up on the thing you just said. My brain okay. is spinning on it. So yeah, go back to that, please. Yeah. You, you said uh, when, when you're alone, you do say that again. You do. Uh, do you do the right thing when nobody's looking? Right. Yeah. Can you give me an example of what so, you. Uh, Okay. So something I learned in my recovery that was this term called self-seeking, right? Mm. I used to think I was a great guy. I was like, oh yeah, I'll help you out. I'll give you a ride. I'll help you move. But I was keeping tabs, right? There was always some kind of underlying motive, right? So something I, I learned to do was just like, do the right thing because it's the right thing. It's something I try to teach my son too. But for example, 
would I give money to a homeless person if I couldn't post about it on social media, right? If nobody knew I was going to do this nice thing, would I give money to charity uh, and okay. not tell anybody? Okay, hold on. So what you mean by a loan is not you in a room. You mean yeah. you on social media. Not, yeah. So nobody else knew about it. Uh, okay. Right? I, I, I understand now. Okay. I'm sorry. I was, I was, I was confusing that because I couldn't think of an example of something I would do. You know, it's, it's yeah. the, the rumor is that the word sincere comes from the Latin when you had a, you have a vase and you'd hold it up to the light. And if it was sincere, you couldn't see the cracks because they would glue together vase. Yeah. And there's something about having a kind of integrity that transcends domains, you know, when you're alone or you're, you're with people. And I couldn't, I couldn't think of, sorry, that's Lola chewing the bone. <laughs> I could, I couldn't think of an example of something I would do alone that I wouldn't do in person. But now I understand what you meant. In the yeah. Like, okay. For so example, now, going back to the Nazi and racist conversation, do you think a majority of those people, if it was just you and that person in a room, no audience, no nothing, do you think they would call you a racist or a Nazi or whatever and, and just have this kind of bad faith opinion of you if nobody else could see it? Or do you think that's more of the crowd that's around and that's why they do it on social media? Yeah, I, I, I can't speak to that because I've certainly had people threaten, to, threaten me with violence in person and I've certainly had people spit on me and I've certainly had overt hostility in person. Although in each, in, each of those instances, there were other people present. Mm. So, uh, I don't know. It's difficult to say. I mean, some people are just dedicated. They make sock puppet accounts and they go around and they yeah. just smear me. But so for those people, I think that there's probably some deep underlying mental disorder in play as well. Mm. Um, and they've just latched on to something, um, some enemy that they think they need to give them to, to validate their identity as a good moral person. Yeah. Um, so it's difficult to say because there's so many, so many variables at play, but you said, so now, now that I understand what you meant by alone, the second thing that yeah. you, you had asked was about keeping myself in check. Yeah. Like on Twitter, how do you make sure that you're not just doing it to see how many people like it, right? Yeah. To make sure you're not just pandering to a specific audience. So I don't think, and you tell me what you think about this. I don't think that's the question. I think the question is, as I interpret the context of the conversation. Hmm. So we had, a, we, we talked about not uh, knowing whose voice doesn't matter and whose voice doesn't count. The problem is when you, you know, when you're called, when you're told to fuck off and you know, <laughs> so many people call you a Nazi and a moron and want to murder you and stuff, you just naturally tune out those people. But the problem with tuning out those people is that you tune out all the other criticism that, that because you just lump it all together because yeah. you sift through, you know, fuck you, bitch, Nazi and all this shit for hours. Yep. And so you, but the, the problem with that is that they deny you the opportunity to get genuine feedback for ideas that you hold that are not true. So they're a kind of corrective mechanism. Those genuine criticisms are kind of corrective mechanism but they get lost in the static of fuck you Nazi, right? Mm. And so you just throw all of those out and you really do yourself intellectual injustice when you do that. But there is no alternative to that, right? What, yeah. what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to sit and sit through thousands of messages about, you know, fucking moron yeah. and me and stuff. No. So, yeah. so it, it's a, you know, it's just, it's a problem. 
Yeah, that's it's so interesting that you that you bring that up, and it's something that I don't think a lot of the, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm nobody huge and famous, but I just don't think a lot of average people understand that when you're getting flooded. Like when I got canceled, there were people making videos like, "Let me get some time, go YouTube the Rewired Soul." First thing that pops up because the algorithm suck, it'll show hate videos on me, right? And right. I would get thousands, just thousands of comments. You're a piece of shit. Fuck you. I hope you die. Go kill yourself. All these things. And they're and, normal. And yeah, and it's it's so just like what like I can't I can't pay attention to all of you. But in between those, I wrote about this. Like right in between those, there's a legitimate criticism. And I'm always trying to make sure I'm not in my own little echo chamber and stuff like that. But a lot of people won't understand how that happens. And on YouTube, fortunately, you can kind of filter things, right? So I could filter. Don't show a comment that says kill yourself, right? So maybe I can like limit it to some valid criticisms, but it's it's still hard. Yeah. So, so he, he, here's another another piece of that that makes this puzzle even more complicated, or not this puzzle, this landscape. And that piece is that less, much less so on the right, but there is a teeny bit of this on the right, but it certainly exists in in force on the left. Guilt by association. Oh, you mm -hmm. talked to that person. Oh, you wrote the forward to that person's book. Yeah. Well, people are still upset that I wrote the forward to Stefan Mumble's book about atheism and agnosticism before he even talked about race. But, you know, you just, I just don't care at all. But the idea is that even having a conversation with someone makes you guilty of something like guilt, guilt by association. Yeah. But the problem with that is, I mean, people don't understand how truly, genuinely toxic that is. The problem is that then you never have an opportunity to speak to people with extreme sets of beliefs and they never have an opportunity to leave those beliefs and live a life of reason, right? Mm -hmm. Set the conditions for, oh my God, he talked to that person. He's an actual neo-Nazi. He's an actual somebody. That right there is the problem. And, and I think seated within that or embedded within that is the people advocating that ultimately switch to standpoint epistemology, their own personal experience. They don't have a, they don't genuinely believe in the, the liberatory effect of reason and human rationality, because if they believed in that, then they would just say, yeah, talk to anyone you, you want, debate anybody you want and let, let the better argument win. And yeah. we want you to do that because we have the better argument. Yeah. It's yeah. It's crazy. We get a oh, man. I could talk right. to you all, <laughs> all right. no, but it's a problem that makes our and the more people who buy into this, you shouldn't talk to that person that they have called platforming. You know, don't give that person a platform. Yeah. And you mentioned Shermer. Shermer had his uh, debate. I think it was with Frank Turek uh, uh, canceled because Shermer's very pro-gay marriage and uh, Turek is uh, obviously not. And they didn't even want a discussion about it. So instead of like, let let the best argument win. So yeah. And the other thing is. When you do that, when you have those conversations, not only do you become better, you, you want you genuinely understand people and where they're coming from, and what what kind of a society do we want, and how do we know who we shouldn't listen to? Mm -hmm. Well, you shouldn't listen to somebody who advocates, you know, X, Y, Z. Okay, but those it must sound like a postmodernist, but I'm not. But those change over time, right? You know, yeah. What what we it's just it, it's just something that we need to guard against because this is an additional danger of the current moment yeah it's a yeah and uh i i've been trying to read more books on like the best arguments for allowing hate speech right uh or or people say andrew doyle's little book free speech is very good 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nope. I read that the day it came out. He's supposed to be coming on at some point, too. He, I love He's that. a good friend. He's a, he's a wonderful human. Yeah. And and it's something that I, I, I feel like it's just counterintuitive. But I'm like, yeah, because if we don't allow these conversations or we say what is or isn't OK, no. we're never going to be able to talk or work things out or understand it's, where another person's coming from. Immoral arrogance. I mean, it is astonishing that we have a, a large groups of people who are positive they have the right answers to moral questions they have a kind of fanatic a taliban kind of religious zeal and fanaticism mm -hmm. about having and not only that we know if, if you want to go into the weeds a little bit i don't know if you want to do but we I know love the weeds I'm, I'm producing a podcast with lyle asher you should read his stuff in mm. the chronicle of higher ed i can actually ask him to be on your show if you want to do a deep dive dope um and uh, his Quillette piece, basically he's a, he's a world, he's an expert in a college of education. Mm. So we're in <clears throat> how they became woke. And we have a situation where these zealots are now control. They, they own, they control ed schools. They pump out teachers with teacher certification. They go mm. into administrative bureaucracies and the same, they bring the same kind of moral and epistemological certainty about their beliefs. You know, I've tried repeatedly for years to talk to my, my colleagues I invite. In fact, if you watch the James Damore event, the first thing I said is literally the first thing I said, I've invited people from the women's studies department. They didn't come. I invite them to come again. Two days later, Helen Pluckers and James Lindsay and I, I've invited people across. Nobody will have a conversation with me. Literally no. And now I'm done. I don't want to have a conversation with them. I'm, I'm that's yeah. it. That, that I did that for years and, and I'm moving on, but, but the, well, there's something particularly insidious and pernicious when that's done in the academy. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's supposed to be where we're growing young minds and, and everything. And yeah. And, and it's also where we're supposed to be modeling behaviors for people. I mean, yeah. I had a, a tenured faculty member. I did an event with Brett uh, Weinstein, uh, Heather Hines, his wife and Christina Hoff Summers. And she, she basically started screaming it at me and us and, but from the audience. Really? But, that's the kind of behavior that's moral for people. And that's what we've institutionalized. So how do we get back to speaking to each other when we have a group of lunatics, basically, who have, who have um, been ideologically captured and ideologically captured their institutions? How do, we, how do we fight that? I mean, the first rule of business, right, is we, we have to change people's attitudes toward having conversations, towards this, this idea that you shouldn't talk to someone who has a different belief is insane. Yeah. Like, we yeah. have to film this immediately. Because this is going to ultimately what's going to drive yeah. us uh, to be even more divisive. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah something, something that you touched on that, that I think is just so close to the root of all this is the guilt by association. Like, like part of my, me getting canceled, right when it first happened, there were, you know, there were people who were trying to look at it as objectively as possible. And some of the misinformation and stories, because that's part of it is, just bad information and lies start coming out, right? And and this guy who I considered a friend, and this is one of the worst parts about it, is he made a video. He actually interviewed somebody else who was saying things about me, right? And when he asked her and when he was trying to, you know, have these conversations, say, hey, how do you know this? How how do you know this? Da 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 da, right? Then he was accused of all these things. Then it was guilt by association with me. He ended up taking that video down because of the crowd pressure even though that was like, so, so I got buried further because okay. no positive okay. voices would come out. You know what okay. I mean? 
So one, people need a hero and their villain. And two, he should never have taken the video down. That's not yeah. sincere. That's not the vase. Why should he capitulate to the mob? Fuck the yeah. mob. Yeah. No. And that, but I have a fucking spine. Do you see this as part of the, the issue with uh, people, you know, being canceled as well as people distancing themselves from that person? Cause they're just, well, he was never your friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good point too. Never your friend. He's not a, he's not a person of virtue. I tell you, m- one of my best friends is Matt Thornton, uh, alive and safe. He'd be a great guest for your podcast when his book comes out. I did a video series with him. Mm. He's, uh, has a, a, a video. He has a, um, a book coming out from pitch and press about violence. He's my jujitsu teacher. He's Conor McGregor's coach's coach. Oh, okay. Matt Thornton would never capitulate to a mob in terms of taking a video down and saying something because people didn't like it. Fuck them up. Why, why would you want to place yourself in a position where you compromise your intellectual and moral integrity because someone mm-hmm. you don't even know doesn't like you? That's mm-hmm. called cowardice. Yeah. Don't be a coward. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely... That's the other thing. What is the consequence of people? That's bizarre thing. Okay, so a bunch of people are upset at someone who's like, fuck you. Like, who gives a shit? Like, yeah. are these like your, now if it's your neighbor, right? A guy who lives next door to you and is going to, you know, throw poison on your dogs when they go out. Okay, that's something different, right? Mm-hmm. But if, who cares if a thousand people, 10,000 people, a hundred thousand people, what, if, I mean, what difference what, does it make? What about when it affects your income, though? I guess that's part of it, right? Yeah, like but, you see people boycotting companies or no, no, okay, whatever that, it is. Yeah. Okay, we got two things going on there. Okay. Okay, so not only is it not going to make your income worse, it's actually going to make your income better. So How, now, how so? Well, let me tell you that. So so let's let's back that up and answer the first question. So. Uh, I, I'm, he, I asked him if I could tell the story and he said I could. So I'm going to give you the person's full, full name. Okay. A guy I've known from the atheist movement for, boy, I don't even know how long, the new atheist movement, years and years and years, maybe even longer, maybe even over a decade. His name is David Smalley. He has a, a podcast. It used to be Dogma Debate, but now it's, um, I think it's the David C. Smalley show. I, I, I get it on my um, uh, podcast. He's very, very good. He's a great guy. Uh, truly a, a thoughtful guy, loves to debate. Um, it, but anyway, but the, but the point is somebody, and I, I'm not going to mention this person's name because I don't want to give them, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to buttress them in any way, called all of his advertisers and said that this guy was a white supremacist. Mm. All right. And so almost overnight, his podcast a tank, not in terms of subscriber list, but in terms of like the number of, uh, the amount of money he got from his advertisers is to just, to just tank. Mm-hmm. So we, so what do you think the purpose of that story is? Well, I, I'll, I, I was going to wait and then say what happened to me. I went from being able to leave my full-time job to doing this, to doing YouTube full-time, I was making enough. And when this happened, lost it all. And I have a son and everything. So, so I think about how people like censor themselves to make sure that doesn't happen. So I'm curious how David's story. Okay. Well, hold hold on. But censoring yourself will only decrease your income. People don't go. People want authenticity and forthright speech. You think Joe Rogan censors himself? <laughs> no. So, so you've created a condition in your mind 
that you think censoring yourself is good because it's going to help your income, but it's exactly the opposite. Hmm. So you're starting with a faulty premise. It's simply not true. Yeah. Do you have any examples of people? Yeah, who Lacey Green. Back? Oh, Lacey Green. Yep. That's many people, the- many people. I mean, just look at the podcasts that are extremely successful. Now, that doesn't mean you say everything on your mind, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean you, you, being authentic doesn't mean you reveal every single thought. You, you have to be somewhat, um, you know, you have to articulate what you're saying in a clear way. And if you've made a mistake, you should say that you're sorry. But the idea that you wouldn't say something for fear of losing income means that you've compromised who you are as a person. You, you've compromised something fundamental about about your humanity and the way and your your moral compass yeah it's something I, I look back right like it was it was 2019 and i look at it but you know i i'm worried about you know supporting my son and you know well if you're worried about and, supporting your son then just speak authentically yeah well i i, I wish you know uh, the whole time machine thing. If I had that you know i i would but i love having conversations like this with people like yourself where it's like if slash when this happens again, right? Like I have a conversation uh, coming up with uh, Julie Bendel, right? Mm. And she's very vocal about, uh, you know, um, about like the the trans conversations and she's a feminist. So there's, she bucks head, almost like a JK Rowling, right? JK Rowling yeah. actually wrote a thing for a book. But anyways, I started getting comments like you're having Julie on here and stuff. But I'm just like, now I have more, knowledge and wisdom about how to handle these situations yeah so when and, someone says it you either ignore them or you say yeah i am yeah and if they yeah. say well fuck you don't have it and so well, you know what you can have a show and not have her on <laughs> yeah if you yeah. have to say anything to them at all they're certainly welcome to have a, a youtube show or a podcast and they're certainly welcome to not to, to not have her on but this yeah. is your podcast you have anyone you, you want on yeah and, and if they don't like it well that's too bad exactly but here's something i'm, I'm curious about like how, or I don't know if you have a story about this. How do you know when, when you're wrong? Because it seems like when we're having these impossible conversations, it's coming from a place of what I know is factually correct and you're wrong. So how do I sway you? But it seems like there's a certain amount of, you know, hubris that comes with that, where you're not open to the idea that maybe you're just wrong. Right. So how, ah, okay. So that's okay. So you put something else in there at the end, uh, after the word hubris. So, so, so there are multiple things going on in that statement. So, so the first one is the the prior question is, are you willing to revise your beliefs? Like that's from the American Philosophical Association's Delphi report on critical thinking. It came out in 1990, And it's one, it's like the, it would be like a building block for the unified field theory of rationality. Are you willing to reconsider your beliefs? Are you willing to change your mind? So that should be. The prior question, in fact, the most important question, if you're not willing to change your mind, then the whole question of how do you know you're wrong doesn't even make any sense, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you wouldn't even get to the question of how you knew you're wrong because you're not willing to reconsider what it is to believe. Yeah. So the first question is, do you have the right, that, that attitudinal disposition that says, geez, I could be wrong about this. In cynical theories, uh, 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 Lindsay, or excuse me, Helen Plucker was the first author, James Lindsay's the second author, uh, they wrote something really interesting. They they said, um, um, let's let's assume that your beliefs are ninety nine percent correct and one percent incorrect. Wouldn't wouldn't you want to speak to somebody who disagrees so that you could plug that hole of one percent? Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of the kind of attitude that people have. Well, we we know we know we don't have to think too far. We just look to Afghanistan. 
think, and we look to our yeah. university systems, a kind of a Talibanization. They look at the university as a kind of, of, of a woke madrasa. Just think of the kind of attitude someone has that they're so certain, they're so absolutely positive that they're utterly unwilling to revise their, their beliefs. And mm -hmm. I'm talking about their beliefs about things that have come into vogue morally in the last five years. That's what makes it, I mean, when I'm not talking about things that we've pretty much, or that we've definitively solved now, like slavery, we're talking about things like that, that was unheard of in the world, even 10, 15 years ago, like cultural appropriation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They're just, just in, in philosophy, you call it doxa, in the book, we call it too, doxastic closure. It's a belief, yeah. in the Greek doxa, belief, um, your beliefs are closed on something. So you have to ask yourself in a very honest and serious way, am I willing to revise my beliefs? And then you have to ask yourself, instead of how do I know I'm wrong, under what conditions would I revise my beliefs? That's the second question. Mm -hmm. Not even at the how question. You're like, under what conditions would I be willing to revise yeah. my beliefs? That, that to me has been an essence of critical thinking. Yeah, yeah. One thing, uh, you know, I do even when talking with somebody to see how the conversation might go, and I say, you know, uh, I, I think this was in the book too, like, what would it take to change your opinion, right? Like, uh, you know, if, if I brought you this evidence, would it change your belief? And the answer is no, then I'm like, I know, okay. Wait, well, wait, pause, pause. What would it take? So then you don't, at that point, you don't say, if I brought you this evidence, you have them tell you. What do you mean? So you, so you said what, which is oh, correct. So how I what, kind of phrase that. No, no, no. You phrase it right. What would okay. it take? What, except I wouldn't use the word opinion, but that's okay. What would yeah. it take to change your mind? What would it take for you? If they're more intelligent or educated, what would it take for you to revise your beliefs? What would it take? Don't you say to them at that point, well, if I brought you this, would you change your mind? You have to have them generate the conditions that would change their mind. Mm. You don't offer them the evidence. They offer you what it would take. Yeah. There's no point in offering them any evidence yeah. because they'll just do a mental gymnastic around. You have to ask them what they did. And yeah. then, and then you think, then you think you think, then you say, okay, well, do I have this evidence? Can I, is this, is this a reasonable request? Can I do this? But always let them generate the conditions. You don't ever provide them any evidence ever. Yeah. Or even hypothetically, that's just, it's a, no. Doesn't yeah, that that's you know, there's a, a great therapeutic technique, motivational interviewing, and it's yeah, getting it's in the dead. Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, you know, our therapists used it at the rehab I was working at too, and and hey, it's what worked helped work on me. Get help help the other person come to their conclusion. And it's funny, uh, Lee McIntyre just had his new book, How to Talk to a Science Admirer, and he went to a flat earth convention and he he's talking to somebody like about something like this and getting the guy to try to think about what it would take and, and, but the gymnastics were still happening. It's, it's really interesting right. if, if you haven't read it, but let me ask you, I, I, I don't know if you have one off the top of your head, but when's the last time you had a belief change? Was it years ago or does it happen once a week? Like uh, what kind of beliefs? Anything, anything like, at all. All the time uh, happens all, God, it's just so, it just happens so frequently. I, I'd say. Oh, I don't know. It happens a lot. Um, I think the more, I think maybe a more, um, germane question is when, when was the last time I had a core belief change? Yeah, that, see that, I didn't know if you want to dig that deep because that's a difficult one. Like if you have one, 
like I would love to hear about it. You mean when I've changed the core beliefs? Yeah. Like mine, like, you know, one of the big ones was mine was I knew everything I could, you know, I didn't need help or anything, but, and that's why I'm saying like, I'm so passionate about being willing to change beliefs. Cause that's what my addiction was. I was stuck in this mindset. I could do this by myself. I could figure it out. I can handle drugs. I can handle alcohol. Right. That was a core belief that I had to change that I was like, oh shit, maybe I need some other people to help me. You know what I mean? That was a real core belief, but it, it kind of covered some other ones. Cause I realized I'm not always right. You know, maybe I, maybe I'm in fact, maybe I'm dumb, you know? So yeah. And the fact that you uh, figured that out, kudos to you for figuring that out. Think of how many people don't figure that out. Yeah. Right. Think of how many people remain trapped. And it's something I think a lot about is how do we create systems that value belief revision? How do we create systems mm -hmm. that reward people for saying, I don't know. Um, every time you create a culture in which you punish people, I don't mean, you know, physically punish or even, you know, sanction them, but look down on them or have a negative attitude when they say, I don't know, you're basically creating a culture in which people pretend to know things they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so you, you had the insight to figure that out, but many people still don't have that insight. And yeah. not only do they not have that insight and they try to proselytize their convictions on people, right? It's yeah. extraordinarily religious. So have you, have you had a life-changing core belief change like in any recent years or, or was it back in the day? Yeah, I, I question, I question so many of my beliefs on everything all, all the time. Um, I've, I'll give you, I'll give you just a few examples of things I've questioned. I've recently been thinking about the, um, in Plato's Republic, he talks about the myth of the metals where people have different, um, metals in their blood and you know, there's certain metal. And then I have to go pretty soon. Yeah. Certain, I have another, um, I have a meeting. Yeah. No, totally uh, fine. certain, certain people, you know, the ruling class has gold in their blood and silver and bronze, or, um, or copper, whatever. I can't remember what it is, but, uh, uh, I've been thinking about something that would have been utterly unfathomable for me to think about five or six years ago. I'm, th I'm starting to think that it's a very complicated idea to throw out in the extreme. Like, we might part. have to do a part two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to think about how I've been questioning the idea that, um, people are not better off if they have benign delusions. Mm. They, you know, Shermer, Shermer and others have written that the brain is basically an engine of belief and there is a kind of propensity to zealotry that we all have. Certain people have that wiring and that's, she's a big word. There's no easy non-academic way to explain this, but to covariant, you know, it, it varies it, the culture and the biology interplay with each other. Yeah. And then you have the other variable laid on top of that. You have this mimetic um, challenge. You have this, these beliefs that have, have more stickiness to them. And they go in, and they, they, they belief mean complexes compete with each other. And so that's a, a long way of saying, I'm, I've been wondering recently if we shouldn't be, and I've been thinking about this a lot and in, in, in doing a little reading on intellectual history, I've been, I've been wondering if the, if we wouldn't all be better off as a value 
if we tried to push people towards more benign delusions than pushing them towards what's true. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's I mean, a that, great question. That's a core belief that I've been challenging because truth has always been my North Star, independent of how it's dressed up or what the effect on me would be. I think it might be different if I were in a concentration camp or what have you, and people were saying things to me, but even then I'd give the verbal behavior of saying, you know, how Hitler or whatever the, you know, I'm yes. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, in my head, I wouldn't, if I was going to be tortured to death by these people, my mentor, I'd mentioned him, talked to me about that when he yeah. had a conversation about that too yeah. bad he, he wasn't around. He was an amazing human, but, but, but the, but the point is I've thought about, um, I've, I've challenged that core belief a lot lately and what that means to, to me as a person. And if that's not, um, compromising my integrity, which is a theme that's come up in the podcast, if that isn't somewhat duplicitous, I don't know the answers to these questions, but, um, I've been wondering, I've been wondering about a lot of things. And so you mentioned before the social media thing, you know, when you're alone, I think that social media, Twitter in particular is a horrible, horrible place to wonder. It's just, <laughs> you know, Socrates says that wisdom begins in wonder uh, and Twitter, Twitter puts a big stop sign in the dialectical highway so that you, you can't do that. But I, I, I would love to have, I'd love to use Twitter to just say, Hey, I've been wondering about this. I've been thinking a lot about yeah. it been, and just engage, but it's just not the platform. And that's why my writing partner who wrote this book with me, uh, I'd have impossible conversations. <laughs> He uses Twitter in a completely different way. He uses it like a, like a hammer, a sledgehammer. Um, but yeah, so, so, so the answer is, yeah, I've changed many, many, many beliefs that I've had. I've, I also changed my economic beliefs. And some, sometimes yeah. my, my, my social beliefs have always consistently been extremely liberal. My economic beliefs, um, I've changed them, you know, in, in terms of the role, I think, the government ought to play in interfering in the market or regulating the market. I've changed my, so yeah. So the bottom line is yeah. yeah, it changed a lot of my, my core or central or primary beliefs. Yeah. Um, I think, I think one of the main things I've learned from your books and so many others and I hope the listeners get this too, is it's just a stand from a place where you're, you're at least willing to question, you know, and then you can go from there. You know what I mean? But if you're yeah. not willing to even question them, then you're not yeah. growing. And I, you, you, you're correct. And I think a key to help in that process is to find friends. Like I mentioned my friend, Matt, and I have, you know, I can think of actually all my friends, I can think fit in this category, which is why they're my friends. Aristotle talks about the highest form of friendship being between two virtuous people. There's literally nothing I, I, I wouldn't say to my, to my friends. Like there's no idea. Like I would question, I would wonder about things. I would bring it up and, and no point in those discussions so, so look if you don't say what you mean then no one is going to know what you mean mm -hmm. yeah exactly. and, if, and if they don't say what they mean then you're not going to know what they mean so what's your so it's not a real relationship because you don't even know who the other person is and what they think and how they feel so yeah. it's a it's a total lack of authenticity and 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 there can be no my, my buddy uh, uh, wrote a book about this. That there can be no, what he calls genuine reciprocity, right? Mm. If nobody is actually saying what they mean. And so if you don't cultivate friendships with that in your life, you'll be a very lonely person. 
Yeah. I think that's, that's a, that's a great topic to end on. I love it. And, and yeah, Peter, I, I appreciate again, you coming on to chat a little bit about all these crazy topics, but where, where could people find you? I know you got a few projects in the works. <laughs> What's the best way or, or, or multiple projects? How do we um, keep up to date so we don't I'm, miss anything? I'm on Twitter at Peter Bogosian, B-O-G-H-O-S-S-I-N. And I have a webpage, Bogosian.com. And I have a lot of stuff going on. So. Beautiful. I will link all that stuff down below. But yeah, thanks so much, Peter. All right, everybody. That was my conversation with Peter Bogosian. And I hope I hope you all, you know, enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking with Peter, you know, I think, you know, especially because since everything happened this last week with his resignation, I've been, you know, listening to, you know, uh, not only uh, like the podcast he recently did with Barry Weiss over on hers, but I've also gone back through some of his back catalog. I, whenever there's like a lot of controversy around someone, I'm like, let, let me see. Let me see if I can kind of figure it out. Like, for example, with Robin D'Angelo, I was like, when I, when I first read her book, I never even realized it was controversy around her. So anyways, I try to go through and I try to like have a better understanding, but one of the things I admire about Peter the most, and I've seen this consistent with him, is he he truly wants to find people who disagree with him just so he can change he change or update his beliefs based on new information. And I think, you know, that is just such an important characteristic. And it's one of the reasons, you know, I believe he fights for having these conversations. But it's also something that, you know, I think we all need to try to do is make sure we're talking with people who disagree with us, because if not, how do we know we're not just sitting in our own confirmation bias? Like it's, it's, you know, well known that a lot of us are just in these echo chambers, even though we're, we lack this self-awareness, we look at others, we're like, oh, you guys are all in an echo chamber, but not me. Right. But the best way to combat this is to find people who disagree with us and see, you know, where they're coming from and see if we're, we're missing something. So again, I, I'm so grateful for Peter coming on and chatting about this and make sure you head down to the description, make sure you are following him over on Twitter, uh, head over to his website because yeah, he's working on a few projects and stuff that he's mentioned. Um, but yeah, they'll be coming up soon. So make sure you don't miss them. And yeah, check down in the description below, uh, grab a copy of how to have impossible conversations and I'll link his other book down there as well. All right. But yeah, also down in the description, you can find me and my links over to social media. Uh, I, it is easy. It's at the rewired soul on Instagram and Twitter. I love talking with all of you. You can stay up to date with, uh, you know, the books I'm reading upcoming guests on the podcast, because as I mentioned, I usually record these like weeks in advance. So following me on social media is a great way to keep in touch and make sure you don't miss anything. Uh, I also recently left my job, but it wasn't like Peter's situation, I was laid off because of, you know, the economy and all that fun stuff. But anyways, I have more time, so I'll work out more projects. So make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. All right. And yeah, a few things you could do to help out the podcast uh, that are absolutely free. Uh, first, make sure you're following, you're subscribed to the podcast. All right. Next this conversation or any other one, make sure you're sharing it over on social media, right? So for example, if you listen to this podcast, you're like, dang, there was, there's some great stuff in this episode. I think, I think people on my uh, friends list might benefit from it. Boom, share it. And the last thing you could do 
is if you take two seconds, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review. All of these things really help out. Uh, the podcast only launched in May. Uh, we're already at 71 episodes because I love talking with people and I read an insane amount of books. Uh, but yeah, all this stuff helps get the word out to new people. Um, so, you know, anybody else who enjoys good conversations, different topics, you know, good books, all that. So I really appreciate if you do that. All right, some other ways to support. Uh, I've written some books about uh, mental health, addiction recovery. And yeah, that whole experience being canceled, I actually wrote a book about that as well. So that's over at TheRewiredSoul.com. Uh, you could also become a patron. And, you know, aside from books like Peter's that really helped me out a lot, therapy helped me out a ton. So down in the description, you'll find a, uh, an affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. That is a service that I personally used. And yeah, it's affordable. It's online. You work with a licensed therapist. So if you're going through stuff or you just know the how how beneficial therapy can be, check out that affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. All right. But yeah, uh, another huge, huge thank you to Peter Bogosian. And I can't wait to see what he has coming up, you know, in the future and all his new projects and all that. So make sure you follow him, check out his books and all that stuff. All right. But anyways, Thank you all so much for listening. Have an awesome rest of your day and I will see you next time.